Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I have a special announcement to make. Uh, This is something that uh, many of you maybe already know, but I have not yet made mention of it on the podcast. I have a book coming out on February 1st. It's called Embodied. Subtitle is Transgender Identities, the Church, and What the Bible Has to Say. This has been the most difficult book I've ever written, including my PhD dissertation. Um, it's been difficult for so many different reasons. Number one, I had to uh, read and study so many different disciplines. This wasn't just a book about the Bible. It definitely talks about what the Bible says about male and female sex identities, the difference between sex and gender, gender stereotypes, and several other things. Talks about eunuchs, talks about intersex people, and on and on it goes. Um, But I also had to dig into a lot lot of psychology, um, biology, gender studies, history, um, and then add to that, well, and then I had to watch tons of YouTube videos, listen to a ton of podcasts because there's a lot going on in, on, on, on the line online (laughs) in the internet world uh, in this conversation. There's a lot of stuff going on in popular, uh, among popular YouTubers and some really helpful conversations actually. Um, and some less than helpful, but things I need to be informed on anyway, Um, The book is available for pre-order. Again, it's called Embodied Transgender Identity is the Church and What the Bible Has to Say. So you can check it out at Amazon. Uh, Please do pre-order it if it's something that is of interest to you. And I think that this conversation, uh, the greater transgender conversation, is something every Christian needs to become somewhat informed on. I don't say that about a lot of things. I, you know, it's like, there's a lot to keep up on, a lot going on in our world today. I think this one is actually an incredibly important conversation. So go check it out um, at Amazon. All right. And it really, well, <laughs> the reason why I chose this podcast to uh, talk about my book is because my guest today... Leslie Hudson Reynolds is the one to whom I dedicated this book to. Leslie has been a great friend over the years, a mentor. Uh, Leslie has experienced lifelong gender dysphoria. Uh, Leslie identifies as non-binary. Leslie used to identify as, as trans. I mean, trans with the asterisk is kind of the broader umbrella category that Leslie would belong under. Um, but Leslie has a pretty amazing story and, uh, Leslie, well, I'm going to let Leslie tell their story. Uh, I have told Leslie's story many, many times. If you've heard me speak on any occasion, you have probably heard me talk about Leslie. So I am so excited about this conversation. Leslie and I, we don't agree on everything. I, we, <laughs> you'll see us kind of get into a little bit. And I just, when Leslie talks, I tend to listen and process and reflect. And I do that in this episode. I, I, I've, there, there's never a thoughtful word. Oh, wait. <laughs> Oh, Leslie, I'm so sorry. Never a thoughtless word that comes out of Leslie's mouth. You may not agree with everything they say, um, but everything that Leslie says is worthy of reflection and consideration. Leslie has an amazing heart and amazing mind. Please welcome back to the show my good friend, Leslie Hudson Reynolds. Hey friends, I'm here with my very good friend and um, partner in crime, <laughs> the one and only Leslie Hudson Reynolds. Leslie, thanks so much for being back on the All Gender Off. My pleasure. So, um, why don't we start? I, th- I think a lot of people listening or watching, this is both YouTube and podcast, uh, so for my podcasters, um, yeah, you can go check out my YouTube channel and, and watch this conversation if you want. I found a lot of people kind of either YouTubers or podcasters. Like there's not a lot of crossover. So that's why I've been doing kind of a bit of both. But um, 
Leslie, a lot of people listening are going to know your story because I've told your story <laughs> probably more times than you have. <laughs> I, I can guarantee that. <laughs> For my audience that uh, does not know who Leslie is, why don't you just give us a, a short and maybe a short version of your really, I mean, I, I hate that. I, uh, I hate to even say give a short version because it's such a powerful story which is why i tell it so often um but yeah i want to jump into some other topics but who who is uh who is leslie well that's a very different story that's a very different <laughs> than what my story is. <laughs> so so i'll go back and just answer give a shortened version of okay. my story okay there we go um so i grew up in the church um from my earliest of memories, I felt like I was a boy. Um, was born, uh, had. I'm having to change from bio sex to a sex to sex assigned at birth. That's a um, a big change in shift in language right now, and that's something I'm having to even as a trans person I'm having to learn okay. to deal with. So I was uh, my sex assigned at birth was female, um, but always felt like a boy. Um, but as I said, my earliest memories are of being in the church um, when I was around four years old, I had a crush on, on somebody that was on TV, knew that I was going to be their husband. I was going to be father to their children. Obviously at four, I didn't understand exactly what that entailed, but I just knew I was going to grow up and be a daddy. Um, at one point I was probably six or seven. I realized, okay, this is not what everyone else is experiencing. I'm not going to grow up to be a man. I'm going to grow up to be a woman. And that just mm-hmm. didn't sit with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so was depressed very, very young. Um, Accepted Christ when I was eight. As I said, church has always been a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had a heart for God. always loved God. Um, in, in high school, there was a sermon series uh, that was going on about LGBT stuff. Of course, you know, we weren't using that kind of language back in the 80s and 90s. It was the homosexuals, you know. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I put that little Southern twang to it because I grew up in Houston, Southern Baptist. Okay. Uh, so, oh. it was, um, you know, it wasn't the really the best place to grow up as a gay person. So I tried to mask it as best I could. I don't think I was very successful, but I tried. Um, and so I went to my pastor after that, you know, and I just said, Hey, you know, this is something I'm struggling with. What do I do? And, um, was, was basically asked to not come back at that point. Um, I got involved into, in college ministry, um, when I was in college, because as I said, I always loved God. I just, mm-hmm. at that point was very angry with, Christians and to a certain extent afraid of some Christians, mm. um, ended up, uh, going into a chaplain uh, ministry in a, in a prison for one of my summer missions and started dating uh, one of the guards while I was there. And so I was preaching on Sunday morning and then going home to my girlfriend Sunday afternoon. And I just couldn't deal with that anymore. Um, and just completely left the church. Um, I told my friends, you know, that, that I was by at the, mm-hmm. which is what I was saying I was at that time. Um, okay. cause I wasn't but I wasn't like fully ready to to go all the way to gay at that point. Was that um, real quick? Like, I I've never heard, I don't know if I've heard I you I've say that. Heard. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, do do you feel like you did go through a stage where you were on the bisexual spectrum, or was that just your way of dipping your toe in the water and you weren't really bi? It was just kind of like I don't want to fully say I'm lesbian or. Yeah, yeah. I, I just didn't fully want to say that I was gay at that okay. point. Um, and that is, please hear me say, that is not to take away from an authentic sure. bi identity. That's what it looks like for me. Okay. Um, so it's, I, yeah, it's, it's very easy to, to say, no, a bi person is, is kind of passing passing through it. And that was that that was what I did in the 80s and 90s yeah. because I was afraid, well, it was in the 90s at that point, but um, just out of fear yeah. and, and to kind of see what people would do if, okay, there was still a possibility if I would go into a heterosexual marriage kind of thing, how they would react because I could kind of figure out how they were going to react as a gay person based on that. And without fail, every single one of my friends just kind of vanished. Uh, Every single one of my Christian friends. Um, So um, I ended up for numerous reasons, um, uh, moving back to Houston from the small East Texas town where I was going to college, um, got really involved in the theater scene there and then ended up uh, going into that as a career as a production stage manager. Uh, One of my assistants uh, was throwing a party and said, a Halloween party, which I hate. I hate Halloween parties. I just, I'm not a costume kind of person. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so she asked me if I would come. I was like, well, only if there's going to be a cute girl there for me. Um, and and she was like, you know what? One of the people that's coming just broke up with somebody. And I was like, 
excellent, I'll go. And um, I met my wife at that party. Um, and we were married for, for we were together for six years, married for four. Um, she had a, we found out right after we got married that she had a degenerative neurological disease. Um, and one of the, one of the things, well, she, uh, she had numerous seizures. Uh, it was part of that. Um, and she ended up having a seizure, which caused a rather, um, uh, tragic accident. And she passed away from, uh, from the results of that accident. Um, and so after that, I was just completely broken. I didn't know where to go, what to do. I was 35 mm-hmm. and was having to find, you know, somebody to, to do a funeral. Sue had been volunteering at this, at this one, um, church in town. And so, so I, I called the pastor and I was like, Hey, can you guys, w- will you do the funeral? I know you don't know me, but you know my wife. And, uh, without hesitation, he said, mm-hmm. we'd be honored to absolutely. Yes. Um, and they ended up paying for it. Um, they, they had food, you know, people from the church, like did food for it and stuff. Um, you know, and it was the first time that I'd actually been treated kindly by a Christian, um, and, or for like a sold out Christian. Um, you know, let me put it that way. Um, and throughout the next two years, he just really treated me as, and pursued me honestly, just as a as a broken widow. You know, mm-hmm. forget about being gay. We hadn't even talked about the trans thing at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so just to be clear, I identify as non-binary, so under the trans umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, and about two years in, I was like, okay, ready to finally. I was, I wasn't ready to move on, but I was kind of in a point with my grief of, okay, do I want to think about moving on? And, and I just said, you know, God, if there's anything else in me that, that you need to fix, I'm so broken right now. I don't ever want to have to go back to this. And I just really felt this super clear calling that, um, that I, that I wasn't supposed to, you know, get into another relationship with a woman. And so was able to start kind of delving into that with, uh, with this pastor who had, who had become an incredible friend at that point. Um, and I I guess the rest they say is, is history. Um, now I'm. I'm in full-time ministries, the gender identity ministry director for Posture Shift, and yeah. uh, it's kind of what I do for a living now is mentor trans and LGBT uh, right. young people, adults. I think the the oldest person I'm mentoring right now is 72, and oh, the wow. youngest is 19. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So so Leslie, the the ministry uh, they work for is Lead Them Home Ministry. Is it leadthemhome.org? Well, it's postureshift.com. Oh, um, is that a separate entity now or? Well, it's so lead them home came from uh, the Wayland song saying that uh, he will lead them home, meaning God will lead all of us home. Okay. Um, but it, we're, we're trying to kind of get away from us, them language, yeah. which is what, never yeah. what it was intended to be. So we're sticking with our posture shift branding and guiding families. Oh, so it's okay. postureshift.com or guidingfamilies.com, which is, uh, the book that we have. Posture sure. shift sure. is our training for, uh, for pastors. Yeah. Pastors, yeah. Churches, well, I, elders. I'm glad you told me so I can, I'll, I'll, I'll be using that language more now. Um, yeah, I can see that's I in you know, uh Bill Henson, the the founder and, and leader of Posture Shift, um is very, very <laughs> uh he he's not gonna say something that's gonna have us versus them, you know, in a in a sloppy mm-hmm. way. The guy's so in tune with nuances of language more than anybody I've ever met. Um and that's yeah, I remember him explaining the name because the name yeah, when I f- heard it, I was like, oh, that does kind of sound us versus them. Then he explained the the background of it, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense, you know. But yeah, that's that's a good move. Okay, um, when that the church, so like the pastor, you know, his response was amazing. Um, I guess I never really ask about the church though, because sometimes you can have amazing pastors. I mean, it's a conservative evangelical church, right? Like, I mean, for lack of better, yeah. So yeah, the only church in that area <laughs> in in one of the highest lesbian per capita populations right i mean it, the highest the, the highest world. northampton Massachusetts has the highest per capita uh rate of lesbians so w- when you were hanging out with that church for the first time was that were they all all pretty much like that you, the pastor i mean or, or were you getting some weird looks was there any kind of tension there or were they all pretty awesome 
they were all really awesome. Not, not to say they didn't make mistakes. Um, sure. There was one person who was like, Leslie, you're our prototype, so we can figure out how to do this with the rest of the community. <laughs> and, you know, which made me feel not so great. Um, but, like, it was it was meant it was meant in love. Yeah. Um, and just like from the very beginning, um, you know, I was making mistakes because at that point, like being around straight couples was like super weird for me. Um, <laughs> you know, it was just everyone that I met, I assumed was gay and it was like straight people were the oddity. Yeah. And so to kind of completely have flip flopped that world, you know, I, I made some, some pretty catastrophic mistakes in the relationship. So, um, their grace towards me, his, his, absolutely shaped the way I'm able to be gracious towards okay. other people with the LGBT conversation now. Okay. Um, okay. You, you mentioned that you identify as non-binary. You used to identify as trans, right? Um, can yeah. you explain maybe, I know there's a lot of overlap and whatever, and people use it different ways, but how, how would you make a distinction between a trans identity versus a non-binary identity? Well, so trans is the umbrella term. So one does not preclude the other. Okay. Uh, transgender versus non-binary. Um, I would say that transgender um, typically, and, and once again, language is constantly evolving right. and is, right. is different from person to person. Transgender typically is someone who does identify within the binary of male and or female. Um, for me, not why I say I'm non-binary, and I, I hate to like keep beating a dead horse on this, but but I specifically say this for me. I'm not trying to prescribe it on anybody else. Yeah. If I were to yeah. like came completely naturally to me. And when I say natural, I mean as natural as like picking up a pencil with my right hand, mm -hmm. kind of natural. I would have transitioned to male by this point in my life. Um, I feel like God is telling me not to transition, um, that that's just not part of my story right now. Um, but when I hear she and her pronouns, or if I'm like dressing super effeminately, um, it, that causes me to want to self-harm. Okay. And so for me, being non-binary is my way of following God to the best of my ability, mm -hmm. albeit imperfectly, which all of us are following Christ imperfectly, if we're, if we're really honest with ourselves. Um, it's me doing following Christ to the best of my ability with my gender identity. Okay, yeah. So yeah, so your pronouns, they, them, um, yep. it's taken me a while. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I'm, for the most part, I, I, I'm getting them, and, and I'm... Um, I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I've got a, Yeah. Several stories there, but um, can, can you, yeah. Can you explain maybe again for somebody who's just like, I have no category for this. What do you mean? You don't like she, her, you know, why do I say they, them, you know, can can you just maybe help us understand um, why pronouns are a bigger deal than maybe some people don't realize. Sure. Let's just start out with some basic statistics uh, within uh, the trans community. 73% of trans people have had suicidal ideation, which means that they've actually thought and had a plan about how they were going to kill themselves. 42% have tried. So 42% of trans people have tried to kill themselves. A study by the Trevor Project that came out last year in 2019 said you can reduce that suicidality rate by, by 40%. So, you know, if you're looking at 43% have, you know, I'm sorry, 42% have attempted suicide. If you're reducing that by 40%, according to Trevor Project, that's a massive number. University of Texas released a study this year that says up to 60%. Hmm. So you're going 42% of, of people who identify as trans attempting suicide to 18%. Hmm. So oh, you saying reducing it by using their pronouns or by having one adult use their pronouns or chosen name. Wow. So you literally could be that one person that allows somebody to take their next breath. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, you know, I think that it, a lot of times we play the, you know, the you're killing kids card too often or, mm -hmm. you know, or, or yeah. this is a life and death matter too often. But this, this literally without hyperbole is life and death, death mm -hmm. for people. Um, so pronouns trigger Improper use of pronouns can trigger dysphoria. Um, dysphoria is is the pain that comes from the incongruence between your perceived gender and your biological sex. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I hear she and her, it triggers my dysphoria, and my dysphoria manifests itself in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. It can be anxiety, um, crippling anxiety, to where like I literally cannot leave my room. It's so bad. Um, right. For example, there are there are no mirrors in my bedroom. Like. 
even looking at myself on, on these kind of things, like I have myself minimized in a corner up in the, up, you know, like super small so that I can't see it. It's just incredibly um, uncomfortable for me to see my image. Um, but so, so crippling anxiety, it can, um, it can trigger. So I'm a, I'm an addict. That's part of how my anxiety manifests itself. So it can trigger me to want to use. Now I've been clean for, for, you know, a good number of years, but it could very easily trigger that, um, self-harm. So cutting, um, suicidality. So one person, and typically it's not somebody who, who doesn't know my pronouns. It's when someone does know my pronouns and then is actively going against it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's when it, it, it triggers that whole, okay, they're not seeing who I am. They're not hearing what I'm saying. You know, they're thinking that this is all part of my imagination yeah. and it just builds into this whole, um, self-degradation, um, right. you know, that, that goes on in my mind. Um, and, and it, it's very, um, it's very detrimental to, to my mental health. And so I, I put this all on me because I can only speak from my own experience mm-hmm. But I can tell you that this is that this is a common experience across um, across the trans trans umbrella community, um, and, and it simply just you. So when we look at between she and he, there's one letter difference in S, right? So forget. I understand they they is complex, and we can talk about that again in a minute. Mm-hmm. But if you're just looking about between she and he, that's the difference of one letter, mm-hmm. and you're telling somebody that their life is not worth dropping one letter. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we can missiologically look at how Christ stood mm-hmm. and say your life is not worth that one letter. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, most, I think most people have heard me, or if you haven't heard me on the podcast, I do, you know, I always get the pronoun question. Do you think you should use someone, you know, and they say preferred pronouns. Um, I, I want to come back to why you don't like preferred pronouns that the term, um, but yeah, so we, we have, as an organization, the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, we have taken the position that we um, do think it's good and helpful um, and hospitable to use somebody's uh, pronouns. Um, and, I, you know, I, I've, I've, I've truly tried to wrestle with both sides of that. And, like, I, I, I have – and I really mean, like, really good people. Like, not there's, – there's some jerks out there that just, like, you know – will go out of their way to use someone not use somebody's pronouns just you know to be a jerk but i know some well-intentioned people that i think are just still can't get there and, and they've they raised some good points um how would you and i've wrestled with this and um you know what if somebody says well why, why would you you're you're lying you're you're feeding delusion or you're uh, yeah you're you're not Yes, we need to love people, but we also need to be truth tellers, you know. So using pronouns that don't match their biological sex is basically lying to them. How how would you respond right. to somebody? So, I think the best explanation I've heard is is the pastor that, that you show the video of. Um, and kind of uh, – was it Pastor Steve? Steve Froelich, oh. yeah, Steve, yeah, yeah. I, I just think the way he, he puts that is, is brilliant mm. that um, – you know, yes, we should not break the, you know, the eighth yeah. commandment. But when you're when you're not honoring those pronouns, you literally could be breaking the fifth commandment and killing someone. And it's uh, so I, I, I that's just the best way that, that I've ever heard it explained. And, you know, I look at, at Jesus and how Jesus um met people over and over again. And imposter shift, one of the one of the first questions we ask people to do is to look at, at times when Jesus or anywhere in the Bible where people had to shift their posture mm-hmm. of being the law to being love. And we get amazing, amazing responses, um, you know, both from Old and New Testament. But, you know, he, he went up to the woman in the well. He shouldn't have done that, A, because she was a woman, B, because she was Samaritan. You know, there are just so many reasons he shouldn't have done it, but he put being in a relationship over the law. And I think that that, mm-hmm. that is what Christ man- – that's how yeah. Christ manif- should manifest himself in our walk now. That's great. And I, I think we have a whole trajectory throughout the scriptures of God – uh, meeting us where we're at. Um, yeah. even if where we're at isn't where we need to ultimately be. Um, so for me, it's like, I, I, and, and I, um, I don't tell people they need to like agree with, uh, a use of a pronoun that they think is, you know, wrong. Like, I don't think they need to have like agree with everything the person believes is invested in that pronoun. You don't need to, you meet people where they're at. So at um, and for you, like I've heard you explain your use of they, them is in a sense, it's a concession. It's like, um, 
you're not saying he, him, you know? Um, so for you, it's like, it's a way, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I've heard you say, you know, it's a way for me to, um, you know, (laughs) not want to self harm when I hear a pronoun that just is grating and exacerbates my dysphoria, but I'm also not saying, no, you need to call me he, him. Um, they, them is a neutral phrase. So for me, that one's kind of, e- I mean, it is a little bit harder because grammatically and everything, and you've seen me mess up so many times un- unintentionally. Um, it's, it's not easy, you know? Um, but it's like, it, in a sense, the idea of being able to say they, them for you, I think is, is not, to me, that's not even the tough one. It, the cross sex yeah. pronouns are a little harder. I mean, um, but yeah, anyway, we're on the same page here. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's it's funny you, you say it's harder. My guess is it's harder for you uh, with people a that you knew as as one uh, as presenting as one uh, gender versus another, and then they they change that. So that would make it more difficult. And this is just a societal thing that I think we need to get past. And it's time that we, frankly, just put on our big boy and girl pants and and deal with it. Is that it's more difficult to use those pronouns uh, with people who don't who don't pass as easily. So um, a, a trans woman, I, I have found it most difficult, especially for cis heterosexual men, to use she and her for trans women. Um, they're willing to concede for trans men, uh, more often than they are for trans women. Mm. Um, and I don't, this is, this is experientially anecdotally, like I don't have, you know, tons of stats to back that up. Um, but I have seen that, um, Mm. you know, in the 10 plus years I've been doing this, um, I have seen that it'd be much more difficult for straight Christians. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The Yeah. Cause I mean, pronouns are a matter of uh social identification right so i mean if um take somebody you know there's well-known people who just clear they they pass you would never know like a blair white or something you know like you would never call blair uh if you didn't know blair white you can google her if you want an image um you would never if you saw her in a restaurant you would never say oh that's a like 100 percent passes but then somebody else who might not um, or some people don't even try. I mean, there are some people. I mean, and there's those, you know, these viral videos that capture. There's, there, I don't know if you saw this. This, this one um, tr- trans. It's almost. <laughs> they made no attempt to past, and they were like, in in a game store. I don't know if you saw this. Probably a lot of conservatives were sharing it, and you know, these are minority stories. But I mean, this dude had, you know, he had like, he was raising a ruckus in the game store knocking over stuff i mean acting as masculine as it could be and the guy said sir you're gonna have to calm down and he blew up saying stop calling me sir it's ma'am but it was in his deep voice i mean you <laughs> and it's like well i'm sorry i didn't know, you know know that but you're you're acting as masculine as they can be so um but that's that's a very extreme case and in there i, I but that's not really what we're talking about we're talking about somebody who yeah is making an attempt to pass they they probably have severe gender dysphoria um but then but then we go back to okay what is gender is gender expression is gender what society says it is is gender how we perceive ourselves um you know i i recently did a um a, a webinar with uh, love boldly and there was a person mm-hmm. named john and john has she her pronouns john has a mustache john has a very deep voice uh, but john identifies as transgender um, hmm. and so it's that initial mistake of saying, sir, I get, mm-hmm. but beyond that, you know, and I, I obviously don't know this person. I haven't seen it. Yeah. So I'm just yeah. like, you know, what, what this does inside my stomach when I hear you say that is okay. Well, that first sir is fine, but right. wow. How can we say that like being aggressive is masculine and, yeah. and not feminine? <laughs> like, have you ever seen like somebody go after go after you know a, a woman's kids how can you not say that that right. that that woman is not aggressive fighting against stereotypes and um and it's something that we i think that this is something societally we're looking at right now is is how do we how do we um understand things outside of our own experience yeah. um and how do we look at ourselves and how are we constantly correcting ourselves and it's it you know, you said this over and over again, it's just by being in relationship with people that are going to call us yeah. on stuff. Yeah. 
you know, and it's, there's, you know, we have, I have a dear friend, um, you know, his name's Tim and he's, you know, kind of against most side B people. And, um, I have to say I'm better at what I do. Mm-hmm. I am a more effective follower of Christ because of the way Tim calls me on stuff and I love it. Um, mm-hmm. and so we have to be including those people in our lives that, that don't think like we think and don't agree with what we think, especially, yeah. well, not, I won't say especially in this conversation. That was a horrible thing to say. Um, but especially in conversations that we're uncomfortable in, mm. we need to reach out and find those people and say, hey, I'm trying to get better about this. Do you have the bandwidth to help yeah. me be better? Because there, and I think it's important to ask that question because there are times that people are going to say, no, I am, I'm sorry. I'm already doing this for 15 other people. I can't do it for you right, right. now. Um, but but to continue trying to reach out and find that person. Yeah. No, that's that's a Gosh, Les, that's a good word. <laughs> I got nothing. That's awesome. And I've, yeah, um, I've, I've told you this, that as a straight person who doesn't struggle with any dysphoria, um, it's it's like a rubber band effect. Like, if I go a few days without being in conversation with somebody who has a different experience, I, I just go right back into this kind of lens that I view the world through, assuming that this is how everybody should view the world, you know? Um, and it's tough. It's being in constant, so I would I would just add, yeah, not just being in a relationship, but being in ongoing constant relationship, and being willing to to, yeah, be critiqued, to be shown, you know, where your thinking or posture is off. Um, can you, you know, we've talked about gender dysphoria. Could could you? And if is it okay to? I mean, and if it's like you know, I'd rather just not even, it's just not, <laughs> not healthy what? for me to do this. But I would love. For some, yeah. You know, what is what is it like to experience dysphoria? Um, I think sometimes that's helpful, um, especially to gain a little more maybe empathy when when people just don't have, really have a category and it's easy for them to kind of not, you know, yeah, think too it's, deeply about it. It's really hard to explain it to somebody who hasn't experienced it, and and understand it manifests itself different in in different people. For me, um, my skin starts crawling. Um, it's um, and if I'm wearing a shirt where my chest is too predominant, mm-hmm. um, like it literally makes me want to find a knife and just chop my chest off. Um, you know, it, it just takes me into some really unhealthy thinking, um, you know, about, about uh, who, a, who I am, who I am as a, as an image bearer of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's for me where the most disconcerting thing comes. Um, but so, yeah, so there, anxiety is a big part of it. Uh, depression because, um, you, you know, I know that even if I have surgery, that there's a really good chance my dysphoria is not going to go away. It does help a lot of people who have surgery. Um, but there's also quite a few that it doesn't help. And so it's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that there's, you know, like if you, if you're a diabetic, they, you know, they say, okay, take insulin and this will help X number of symptoms, but it may not help these other symptoms. Um, and so I, I feel like as, as a trans person with, um, with with dysphoria that there's there's just no clear-cut answer and so it's um hopelessness can can fall into that if i'm not anchored in christ if i don't have people around me speaking the truth into my life Um, it's this is taking it on a super simple level so and trans people that are out there please don't think i'm trying to equate what we go through to this but everybody has gone to get a haircut and have come out with a horrible haircut and you can't even stand to look at yourself. Like you mm-hmm. have to put a hat on or a scarf on or something or a really bad dye job that you just can't wait until you get the next day that you can – or the 48 hours, whatever, that you can run back to the salon and, and get that corrected. Mm-hmm. That on a very simple level is what it feels like. It doesn't look like how you feel. It does, You hate what it looks like. Um, and you know that – especially like if it's a short haircut that's been cut way too short, there's nothing you can do to change it. You just have to wait. Golly. Is there anything that does minimize it, relieves it that you found? And again, just your personal story. I mean, I've heard other people describe certain things or. Yeah. So for me, it's short hair, um, short purple hair right now. Um, you know, I, I typically am wearing, you know, guys clothes, um, and that, that helps me. Um, you know, it's, I, I wouldn't I say you're wearing guys clothes cause there, there's a lot of clothing's gender neutral largely. Right. I mean, I don't from men's stores. Oh, okay. L- l- yeah. Say that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, like literally the only female thing on me on my body right now is my bra. I mean like okay. everything else is male. Um, 
and it's TMI probably, but I just don't love that. <laughs> That's the Algin Raw. There's no such thing as TMI on the show. <laughs> um, but you know, so um, but but here's another thing where where I just want to call how we are societally biased. If I were to walk down the street right now, just because you know this is kind of a teal shirt, you know, people aren't going to look at which way the buttons are to figure out that this you know is is a guy's shirt. You know, for the most part, people aren't going to figure that out. But if I were a trans woman and I were walking down the shirt in a blouse, you better believe people are going to call me on it. Mm-hmm. And there are even pastors who would call call a trans woman on that who wouldn't call me on what I'm I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yeah. there isn't consistency. There isn't equity. Um, you know, there's um, you know, I, I've heard people say that, you know, if you're um, if, if you go to the beach, like when I when I go swimming, I'm wearing, um, like a a tank top and, um, and like guys board shorts. Mm -hmm. Um, but if, if there was a biological, sorry, someone who was assigned male at birth at the, at the beach, um, in a bikini say that could be problematic just because societally we're not okay with the same things being with, with men expressing a feminine gender, which, and please don't, please understand me. I'm not saying that, that a a trans woman is a man. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but with someone who was born an assigned male expressing themselves in a more effeminate way, um, or as a female, we have a much larger problem societally with that. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, yeah. And I don't know why is that? Is it patriarchy? Is it male dominance? Is it, um, or is it just there's no like underlying motive? But that's definitely true. I mean, yeah, f- uh, yeah, you can get away with wearing male typical clothing, whereas the opposite um, typically isn't true. Um, there, there might be some rare examples, skinny jeans, or I don't know. <laughs> so, I can I can wear a, maybe a silky shirt or something, and um, some yeah. people might look. I think I would look skinny fabulous. Jeans. Others. <laughs> so what's that? I said skinny jeans are just a worship pastor. So. <laughs> So I, I want to, so you, you mentioned a couple of times, I, I just, cause my audience is probably like saying, how can we not asking about this? The whole assigned, um, at birth. Uh, I think you and I might be in uh dis- disagreement on that. What, 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 what's wrong? I just, a phrase like for me, biological sex is recognized, not assigned, except in cases where there's an intersex condition where literally the doctors will look at the genitalia of a newborn and say, uh, could go either way i'm going to say this is a female like that's where the phrase i think originally comes from but for somebody whose biological sex is unambiguous the word assigned to me feels not like it's recognized not like the doctor's not doing anything well to I'm make that person that. male or female uh yeah. I'm saying the doctor's the one doing the assigning. Um, but I think that it's, it's um, a way that language is progressing to understand that the gender um, is, is more than, than just biology and gender is more than just how we perceive ourselves. Um, and so by saying that this is what I was assigned at birth um, and if I, if I perceive myself, if I identify as – so say you know, I would say female assigned at birth, I identify as male. Mm-hmm. For me, it's taking away the aspect of, okay, there, I am partly this and, and how that can be, uh, how that language can be triggering uh, for dysphoria mm-hmm. uh, and is, is a way, I think, of, of finding a more holistic view of who we are, both biologically and, mm-hmm. uh, and gender-wise. And it's, it's a way, in my mind anyway, of trying to bring the two together. Okay. Um, it's, it's something that literally has come into, and it's, you know, as a 40-something-year-old, I'm, I'm on the back end of, of yeah. language conversation, even though this is how I identify. And so I haven't, I haven't had the ability to do a ton of research. Next yeah. time we talk, we'll have a huge talk about this, I promise. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for me right now, it is, it is missiological for me. That is what the community is using. Yeah. And so it's language that I'm adapting to. Okay. That's a good, so missiological, even if. You don't necessarily, I mean, maybe you do, maybe you don't necessarily need to agree with everything that's invested into that phrase assigned at birth for you to use it. I'm just saying like, theoretically, you don't need to agree with it all to kind of like pronouns, right? You could say, no, I actually think your pronoun should be this, but you don't prefer that. So, or you don't use it that way. So I'm going to meet you where you're at. Um, what about just the whole concept of biological sex? and, And there's so many variations with, even within the trans community, some like Blair White would say, no, I'm biologically male. Like I can't, that's just the scientific fact. Other people would maybe be very triggered 
if you even referred to, or just even the very phrase biological sex can be is that correct it could be triggering for yes. some okay yeah, yeah so i can acknowledge what i am biologically not like i'm not even comfortable saying it but if i go yeah um like you know one of the things that you know we you know we've kind of been joking around about and, and talking about for like the last year that i'm actually doing right now is applying to seminaries <laughs> there's zero seminaries that don't have male and female for gender and so even though i can and they say, use the word gender this is this is what drives me crazy yeah. my passport says gender what's gender across the board people define it as either gender identity one's internal sense of who they are as male female both or neither or gender role you know yeah. what role are you so, yeah, gender, gender, a so of I don't understand how these, I mean, passports or every single document use the term sex, not gender when, I don't know. Anyway, it drives me crazy. Yeah, it, it drives me crazy too. And so it's, um, you know, the fact that that's not even an option there when I have to pick that, yeah. that triggers my dysphoria in ways I can't even, I, I can't even mention to you. Um, okay, man. Um, what, what about... I'm trying to think out loud here without sometimes in the, I got to be careful having the privilege to be able to think out loud in ways that I'm not affected, but may affect somebody else. Um, Greg Coles has really helped me with that because I am a free thinker. I love the blog. Like hey, I'm 80% sure of this. I'm just going to blog it, get it out there. Let's just have a free flowing discussion. He's like, well, that's convenient for you. Um, and I appreciate your heart, but um, not everybody has the freedom to do that without it affecting them in ways that doesn't affect you. So, um, so let me just, and if you tell me, you know what, I just don't want to go there. Um, what about when some, what if somebody says like, but these are just basic facts of reality. And if somebody is triggered by the reality of that, there is such, such thing as biological sex, then we need to help that person peel back the layers and figure out what, why are you, um, triggered so by just a basic like, reality like we can't pretend like reality doesn't exist to alleviate everybody's offense is that valid or I, I, a lot of people are gonna be wondering that at least yeah so I, I think my initial question with that is exactly who is it that's asking that question is it that person's clinician absolutely you have the right to ask that question and, and to delve into that with that person are you somebody mm. that is just their friend are you somebody that's going to church with them um are, are you somebody on the street passing them by? In all those cases, absolutely not. It's none of your business. Mm. Um, you know, it's, you know, let's go back to the woman at the well. You know, yeah. Jesus, yeah. you know, Jesus met her where she was. Jesus didn't ask her to, you know, to not to, you know, say she wasn't going to be a Samaritan anymore. You know, she was going to, you know, <laughs> like he didn't, he didn't ask any of that, mm. you know, um, I just think that we need to we need to completely shift how we think about these things. It's so easy to want to intellectualize and to want to yeah. study. Yeah. And it's yeah. so easy to forget what would Jesus do in this situation? Okay, here is a person what and you know, in my case, a person who professes Christ, who loves Christ, who is mm. has you know, my livelihood is serving Christ. Why would I need to – this is obviously something I've wrestled out loud with with God for many, many years. Yeah. Why is it this, that, that I need to then make everyone around me feel okay about the, about mm. what God – the conclusion God and I have come to? We, um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, that. So you would say like if somebody is willing to be in relationship, ongoing, unconditional relationship, th then they might have th – then their maybe intellectual question is matched with relational commitment – but if all it is is you're just some faceless person over there and I'm going to throw out these intellectual pushbacks, then, then that just seems like you're not you, – yeah. Um. Well, and I, I think that the intellectual pushback should be more uh, – once again, this is something we're learning as a, a society at, um, mm. as a whole is that these questions should be, be coming from wanting to understand, right. not from – not from uh, wanting to uh, prove your point right. So, okay, why why is that triggering for you? You know, help help me understand that. And once again, you have to have permission to ask that question. Not totally. not specifically say, hey, can I ask you this question? But like relational permission to ask those questions. Like, um, there's an mm -hmm. there's one particular elder and my pastor and um, like my executive minister. Like, there there are people in my church that I'm super close to, and they pretty much have quest have permission to ask me carte blanche anything. Okay. A because I'm a pastor in my church and I want them to do it well for for 
some young trans people that we have in our church. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that they're going to be able to better minister to me and better love me by them understanding me better. Um, But those are very specific people that have that kind of permission to ask those those types of questions in my life. It's not something that I feel like every congregant in my church has the right to ask. Mm -hmm. That's so good. That's so good. All the more reason to be in committed relationships, especially with people whose experience maybe is different than yours. Maybe they have certain worldview things that are different than yours. I mean, unless you feel like you have arrived, (laughs) then maybe you have some blind spots. Typically, your blind spots aren't point. You don't see your blind spots until you get out of your echo chamber, whether it's a conservative or a liberal, whatever, like get just get in relationship with people who see the world different than than yours with a genuine inquisitive um, posture where you're truly trying to learn from somebody else's lived experience. Yeah. Um, which is, I, again, I, I, I'm, I'm preaching. I'm, <laughs> I fail every day at this. I truly do. And, and um, oh, yeah. it's, it's because it's so easy. It's so comfortable to just be around people who see the world just like you do. And that's just, but that's just, it's just, um, it's not really that Christian, you know. I mean, well, it's not 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 that Christian. It's not Christian. <laughs> that's you know, if we're if we're saying that Christ, that being a Christian is emulating Christ, that's not Christ-like at all. I mean, look at look at look at the look at the diversity of people he gathered around himself. That just the twelve apostles. You had like people who were like working for Rome, like Matthew the tax collector. All the way to like Simon the Zealot, who was like a suicide bomber. <laughs> I mean, these are like, <laughs> this is like Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi on the same team. All of a sudden, you know, <laughs> I don't know if that's an overstatement. Actually, I, I, I people. No, like, I don't oh. think it is. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it, the, the power of Christ to to convert and to to change people. It absolutely isn't. And it's this is a we could do a whole podcast <laughs> just on this. But like, I love how the chosen. Um, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but just how it depicts the differences between the disciples and, and their, their callings and kind of uh, Peter's disbelief when Matthew is, is chosen is like, what, him? Really? Um, you know, and it's just, it's so brilliant. Uh, I have not seen it yet. Matthew. I have not seen that yet. You failed. I totally <laughs> forgot about it. I remember seeing it when it was coming out, um, but I... No, it's brilliant. Really? Okay, I got to check it out. Um, we're running out of time here, but uh, one more. Um, yeah, we've kind of danced around this a little bit, I guess. And may- maybe you're just going to repeat something we've already talked about. But what are, what's maybe the number one blind spot um, that you see among people that don't have some sort of trans experience, dysphoria, um, that people like me, but what kind of assumptions do people like me um, have about trans people that you would love to maybe correct or shift? Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily an assumption, but it certainly is a blind spot. Um, you know, we were talking about this, you know, before we actually started this, just the the in, incredible increase, increased rate of, of uh, murders of, of trans people in our country. Um, you know, it's last year we had 27 reported in the U.S. And I say reported because so many go unreported. Mm. Um, we're already up to 29 and, and it's just August. Um, we had a period between uh, eight and 18 days. We had eight trans women killed. Um, and, you know, we're not this isn't just in like, you know, small town in the south. We're talking, you know, it happened in Dallas. It happened in Pompano Beach, Florida. You know, it happened in Seattle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yes, there are smaller towns in Alabama, you know, where it, where it happened. But that's not where where the majority of these things are happening. And so these these predominantly uh, black uh, trans women are being murdered. We only have um, out of, out of the 29 that have have happened this year, there've only been four arrests. Mm-hmm. So the rest are either people aren't talking or you know or or was yeah. happened you know, in a back alley or, or, you know, whatever that looked like. Um, but we have, and out of those 29, there was one binary person and two trans men. Hmm. So vast majority are trans women. The vast majority of the trans women that have been killed are, are black women. Hmm. Um, wow. and so this is something that, that I think it shows up on page six most of the time, you know, it's not something that's, hmm. that's in the general view. And I think it's something that we as Christians have got to start standing up for, you know, if you can't, if you can't give behind pronouns, if you can't get behind a name, 
I don't understand why, but surely you can get behind people being brutally murdered. There were, um, you know, one, one example that, that, uh, Bill uses a lot, Bill Henson, um, is this in, um, I believe it was June. It might've been, it might've been May, uh, two trans women in Puerto Rico were burned alive. Um, Back in April, there was um, a trans man that was stabbed to death, you know, and these are just horrific, horrific stories of how people were treated. Um, there was uh, one in in California. They don't even know they, they can't they can't put a specific date on it because uh, because of it being in the water and the de- decomposition of the body. Um, you know, it's just surely we can get behind protecting people from being brutally murdered. Um, What's the solution? Like what, what's, what's not happening. That's allowing this. Would you say like, how how would a Christian get behind reducing, reducing that? So, so here's the thing is it's going to take a huge societal shift and that starts with using pronouns, using chosen names. Um, so when we when we start to normalize these experiences, so by leading with "Hi, my name is blah blah blah" and my pronouns are, if you as a cis person say that, then you're normalizing it in society so that it's not making the trans person seem quite so over there and quite so uh, so different and so othered. Um, mm. You know, and as trans people, we are you know, a marginalized people group, a marginalization of a marginalization of a marginalization. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, we're such a, a small group. Um, but yet when I say small group, we're, we're talking millions of people just in the U S. Um, but so by, by understanding culture, by actively being in relationship with a trans person, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, just by humanizing the people that, you know, you can start, you can start that shift. That's good. Yeah. Um, I gotta think about that pronoun because I yeah I haven't been yeah maybe, maybe we could talk more about that because I uh, when I see cis people use their pronouns it just feels like virtue signaling especially if they're like have an audience that you know is gonna see that as like I don't know well so you know how Greg said that there are some things that you're seeing from a from a cis person's point of view yeah. that's that's it. it. Like, I can't tell you how much it means to me when a straight person, a cis straight person will lead with their pronouns. Um, really? you know, it's, I had, so my small group leader, um, I'm, I'm in, you know, Sunday school at, at church and, um, we've, we've kind of established my pronouns, but people are slowly starting to add in, you know, as, as the fall summer's uh, ending. And she asked me specifically, she's like, how can I, you know, mm-hmm. how can I, recognize your pronouns with people without having to every time somebody comes in. And I just said, look, if you can just, when you're saying, hi, I'm Katie, I'm the group leader. My pronouns are by the time he gets to me, it's not me being different. It's just me being part of the group. My response may be a little bit different, but the fact that I'm sharing my pronouns aren't different. Um, Mm. and so it's just, it's just making me feel like I really am part of the group and not like I'm somebody like, Oh yeah, by the way, here's my pronouns. Um, it's like, Oh yeah, my pronouns are, you know? And so I'm, it's it's just increasing inclusivity is is a big part of what we do. A posture shift, you know, finding ways that we can say yes, um, and this is something that's so easy to say yes to. Hmm. Leslie, thanks so much for being back on Theology in the Raw. I think you, I think you're a third time. I think this yeah. is your third time. There's only like a couple people that have been on three times. Uh, B.J. Thompson, you and actually um i'm recording another episode here in a second um i think he's another third timer so yeah welcome to the elite club (laughs) well i so appreciate i mean gosh i just i i don't know if i've learned so much from a single human being as i've learned from you um we don't always agree and i love that i love that we could disagree on stuff and our relationship is so much thicker than ideologically you know being you know uh agreeing across the board i mean so and you're all even in the midst of some disagreement i'm constantly challenged by literally everything you say and do so thanks for being amazing Uh, you've been listening or watching theology into raw um and we will see you next time on the show i'm gonna close it out with a really boring lame just slam that plane down as fast as i can go (laughs) take care leslie bye